If you have your Bible, you can open up to 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13 is at least the uh, place where kind of the foundation for our reflection together this morning. 2 Corinthians 13. As many of you know, uh, the church for thousands of years uh, has shaped, many churches have shaped their worship, their calendar, to follow the story of God throughout the year. Uh, and so the, the church year, this calendar begins in December uh, with the season of Advent, uh, which is this time of, of anticipating the coming of Christ, uh, the, the fulfilling of all these promises that we hear. Uh, and that is celebrated then in the season of Christmas, uh, the birth, the arrival of Jesus. And then there's a time of reflecting on Jesus' life and ministry as he is revealed to the world and, and all that he says and all that he does. And then there's the season of Lent as we prepare to go toward the cross. And then there's Easter, that, that overcoming, that celebration of resurrection. And that celebration lasts for, for many weeks. And, and then finally, at the end of that, this past Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. Uh, when we remember and celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? And this is the, this is the great story of God. This is the, the arc of, of the story, the, the calendar that, that we remember together. But there is one more traditional celebration. Uh, as we enter into this next season, commonly referred to as ordinary time. Uh, what a fun name, right? Uh, ordinary time. That's most of life, isn't it? Ordinary, everyday life. That, that's what the next season is called. But, but this Sunday, the Sunday after Pentecost, is traditionally uh, known as Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday. Uh, it, it's a day to celebrate God, who we know is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity, after making our way through this great story of God, we celebrate the holy mystery of Father, Son, and Spirit, who we've, we've seen at work throughout this whole story, right? The promises of the Father, their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the Son, and then the Spirit who is with us now. It's, it's sort of like, uh, this is the image that, that I, I think about. It's like the end of, of, a, of a theater performance, right? If you've ever been to, to see a show or, or a theater, at the end of the show, all of the cast comes back out and takes a bow, right? That's kind of, as I think about it, what Trinity Sunday feels like, right? We've journeyed through this whole story of God over the past many months. And Trinity Sunday is a time whenever Father, Son, and Spirit come out and take a bow. It's the curtain call of the Christian year. And so today, I simply want to pause and reflect on God, our Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our text today that we'll be referring to and reflecting on is a single verse. Just one verse. 
the very last verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's this blessing that Paul speaks. Now, depending on which translation you're reading from, it might be verse 13 or verse 14. Uh, different translations actually break up the verses here at the end of 2 Corinthians a little bit differently. In the NIV, it's 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14. Here's our text today. Hear this blessing from Paul. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you that you are with us and that you have led us through and continue to give us life. God, I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So as, as I was reflecting on this passage, there's an image that came to my mind, uh, and I remembered something that I once heard at a church that I was a part of several years ago. Uh, the pastor was describing our weekly worship service, which had a very similar shape to our worship service here, right? We would, at the beginning, someone would come and offer a word of welcome. Welcome, good to be here together as we worship. Then we would sing together and hear a word from scripture. And then finally, we would come to receive communion as we gathered around the table together. And the pastor said that through these things, our worship service every week uh, told us, God, God was speaking to us, and we heard this. Through these things, every week we come together and God says, Welcome home. I love you. Let's eat. That's the worship service. Every week, welcome home. I love you. Let's eat. That stuck with me. I mean, I love that image. That's what we are reminded of every week as we gather, as we're welcomed as we proclaim and hear the love of God through song and scripture, and as we gather at the table. Welcome home. I love you. Let's eat. And this, this is what we, we hear every week. And this is the image that came to mind as I was reflecting on this passage, this blessing that Paul offers to the Corinthian church. There, there's the, the opening of the door. There's a big embrace and then there is sharing a meal, right? There's grace, love, and fellowship, right? The grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. As Paul writes this blessing, he is inviting us to dwell in the mystery of the Trinity, as one would dwell in the hospitality of a home, dwelling in the Trinity. The grace, love, and fellowship of the Trinity is the holy hospitality of our God. 
And so I want to reflect on each one of these today as we consider this blessing that Paul offers. And so the very first thing is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is that, that first image of God opening the door and saying, Welcome home. Welcome home. It is through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we enter into the life of God. The grace of Jesus Christ is, is the threshold that we step over as we enter the home that is God. And there is no other way in. That's the only entrance to God, the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is wonderful news. Grace, it's one of those kind of churchy religious words, right, that we sing and say and, and, and so on. And I don't think we need to get rid of churchy religious words, but I think we absolutely need to reflect on them a bit more deeply and mind their depths, because otherwise they become hollow instead of holy. But these words have a lot to offer us. Grace has so many things to share with us. There's a lot to consider in the word grace. But at least one part of this idea, of, of this word grace, is, is this idea of unmerited favor. A free gift. Grace is a free gift. This is a wonderful thing, but if we admit it, a lot of times it can be very hard for us to accept, right? I, especially, ironically, for religious people. It's really hard to accept that grace is unmerited favor, a free gift. A lot of times, if we are honest, we actually want to merit our favor, right? I, I want to be able to say, I, I got this, right? We want to be able to point to our trophies or something. We want to be able to earn our keep because we want to be in control. And we want it to be about us. This pick-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps mentality is deeply ingrained into our culture, into our way of life. And, and this way of thinking and being is a great entrance into the trinity of me, myself, and I. But the only way we can enter into the life of Father, Son, and Spirit is by grace. Unmerited favor. An absolutely free gift. Paul writes about grace elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 2. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is our entrance into the life of God. He is the one who opens the door and says, Welcome home. Welcome 
home. We aren't the ones who open the door. We don't need to have some sort of key to get in or a special knock or something. He's the one who throws the door open and says, come on in. Welcome home. Jesus is the one who took on flesh and came to dwell among us. Jesus is the one who welcomed tax collectors and sinners and ate with them. Jesus is the one who gave his life and shed his blood to cleanse us, to make a way to overcome death itself. All of this is his doing, not ours. It's a free gift. It's grace. As Paul writes, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He is inviting us to receive this free gift. He's inviting us to, to cross that threshold, to enter the door that Jesus opens, where he stands and says, welcome home. Welcome home. This is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, th this is where a lot of sermons that we've heard have ended, right? Uh, you know, they end with the grace, the, the message of grace, the invitation to come on in, right? And you know, some sort of thing like that. And that's kind of odd because many sermons end right at the entrance, right? And Paul's just getting started. Right? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God be with you. Right? The life of God is so much more. The good news of the gospel is so much more. It's not only about being saved by grace, it's about being loved by God. That's what the gospel is. And that's the very next line that Paul says. May the love of God be with you all. See, after the door is opened and we are welcomed, well, then that next image is that big embrace in the words, I love you. Right? Welcome home. I love you. And this is the essence of Christian life. If, if, grace, if the grace of Jesus is the threshold and the door by which we enter, well, then the love of God is the actual house, right? It's the foundation, the floors, the walls, the ceiling. The love of God is, is the place where we dwell. It's the essence of Christian life. It's the place where we dwell as beloved children of our Father. When Jesus came, right next to the kingdom of God, which he came declaring, the most resounding message that Jesus proclaimed is that God is a good father. God is a good father. Throughout Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, these two things, the kingdom of God, and the goodness 
of God as our Father go hand in hand. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And so if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Your heavenly Father knows what you need. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, the kingdom of God and the love of God are not separate things. They go hand in hand. We seek the kingdom of God because God is a good father. We seek the kingdom of God because God is a good father who loves his children. And this is the essential message that Jesus came to declare. Jesus didn't ultimately come to save us for heaven, but to show us the father and proclaim the deep love of the Father to us. And so grace is the door by which we enter, but love is the home in which we live. And so I want to ask you a question as we think about this. How would you live differently if you were utterly convinced, if you deeply and sincerely believed the truest thing about you is that you are loved by God. How would you live differently if you truly believed that, that the truest thing about you is that you are deeply loved by God? I mean, immediately there are all kinds of objections that start to come up, right? You know, but, but I've sinned against God and others, yes, and you're loved by God. But I feel anxious and afraid. I, I, I have doubts, yes, and you're loved by God. But I, I, I've betrayed people. I've, I've betrayed friends and family, yes. And you're loved by God. But, but I'm really hurt by some relationships I've been in. I'm kind of, I'm angry. I'm, I'm bitter. Yes. And you're deeply loved by God. 
I, I suffer from, from sickness, chronic pain. I, I, I'm, I'm getting old. I don't feel well. Yes. And you're deeply loved by God. I'm so ashamed by all kinds of things. Yes. And you're deeply loved by God. All of those things might be true. All of those things might be true. But the truest thing about you is that you are deeply loved by God. How would you live differently if you really believed that? I'm sure there are many responses to that question. I invite you to reflect on it for a while. But perhaps at least one of the ways that we would live differently is that in our living, we would know that we're not alone. We're not alone. And that leads us to the last part of Paul's blessing. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And so continuing that opening image that, that we were thinking about, right? We move from being welcomed into the home to being embraced in love. And now we're brought to the table for a meal. Right? We move from grace to love to fellowship. So if the grace of Jesus is the entrance and the love of God is the house, well then, perhaps, the fellowship of the Spirit is the eating, working, resting, playing, all the activities of actually living in the house. That's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Here's the irony. For many of us, the Holy Spirit is the most mysterious, kind of abstract, strange person of the Trinity. Right? God the Father, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. God, you know, Jesus the Son, yeah, we, we know all about him. The Holy Spirit, uh, you know, we believe in him, but uh, I don't know. Right? Right? And yet, and yet, the Holy Spirit, I want to suggest, is actually the most practical, down-to-earth person in the Trinity, actively involved in every moment, every day of our lives. It's through the Spirit-inspired words of Scripture that we even know the Father and the Son. Right? The Spirit is the means by which we know the others. It's by the Spirit that our hearts have been transformed. How can we even say we love God? It's because the Spirit's been at work. 
It is in the Spirit that we live every moment of every day. And that's the definition of fellowship. That's what fellowship is all about. It's, it's this Greek word that, that means community, partnership, sharing, participation, right? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit means that the Spirit is participating in our lives. And by the Spirit, we participate in the life of God. Just like sharing a meal, we share in the life of God by the Holy Spirit. Once we have entered by the grace of Jesus and dwelled in the love of God, well, then we can live in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul describes in Galatians, right? After he lists off the fruit of the Spirit and so on, he concludes by saying, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Our whole lives as followers of Jesus is meant to be lived in step with the Holy Spirit. This image is, is very much like perhaps one of, of dancing. The Holy Spirit is our dance partner who leads us as we live in the music of God. Maybe you're not so much a, a music and arts person uh, to change the metaphor uh, to a different one. The Holy Spirit perhaps is, is our coach, our teammate. It keeps us moving on the field of life as we make the plays we need to play, right? Insert whatever sport you want to there because that's as far as I can go, um, right? The Holy Spirit keeps us moving, the Holy Spirit gives us life, keeps us walking in the way of Christ. We often think that the Spirit is the most abstract, strange, mysterious part of God, but the Spirit is actually the one that, that is with us every moment, every step that we take, every breath that we breathe. The Spirit is the one who leads us and guides us step by step. And that's probably why we don't see it. That's probably why we often miss it. Because the Spirit is so practical, so embedded in every moment of our lives. We don't notice the Holy Spirit the very same way that we don't notice our breathing. Have you thought about that in the last couple minutes? No, you're just doing it, right? And that's what the word spirit means. It's the same as the Greek word for breath. We live and breathe every moment in and through the Holy Spirit. And so we enter the home we are loved there, and there we live. This is what it means to dwell in the Trinity. And so, as 
we come to a close, I just want to offer maybe some practical suggestions, some ways that we can continue to grow as a people who live and dwell in the Trinity. Uh, one of those pieces is just simply as, as we read Scripture. As you're reading Scripture, as you're looking at things, maybe keep these categories, these, these you know, words and, and things about God in our minds. As we read any given story, it doesn't matter whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, whatever, whatever the case may be. And just ask yourself as you read, what is the Father? What is the Son? What is the Holy Spirit up to in this place? And that'll begin to, to help you see perhaps a little bit more of who God is. It'll broaden our vision, help us to see a little bit more. As we read Scripture, let's look for little hints of Father, Son, and Spirit in each moment. Another way to grow in the life of the Spirit is in prayer. My, my guess is that most of you pray perhaps to the Father. Maybe sometimes you address a prayer to Jesus, right? What if we became aware of, who, who am I talking to right now? Am I talking to the Father? Am I talking to Jesus? Am I talking with the Holy Spirit? Right? We can direct our prayers to each one. Now, they're not separate from each other, right? You talk to one, you talk to all. That's how the Trinity works. It's a mystery. But as we pray, maybe there's an invitation to broaden our prayer, our address. This morning in class, we were talking about some of this, and, and I just asked the question, do, do any of you feel like you're more or less familiar with, with one of these three, Father, Son, or Spirit, right? And I'm sure each one of us maybe has one image uh, of God that we resonate with more. God is Father, you know, or, or you know, I, I resonate with Jesus, but I don't really know if I resonate with the Father as much. And then where, where is the Spirit in the midst of all that, right? And the invitation that Paul has here is to live, to dwell in all three. And so as we pray, what if we direct our prayers to each Father, Son, and Spirit? This is a way of entering more deeply into the life of God, dwelling in the Trinity. And one more just very simple and practical way of doing this is if God himself is kind of a, a divine community of sorts, then one of the primary ways we can grow is by be participating in community ourselves, by tending to the relationships that are around us, by reaching out whenever maybe we don't want to, by making that phone call or going to visit. As we, as we enter more deeply into community with one another, we begin to experience the community of God more deeply, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is the invitation for us. As we journey deeper 
into God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Welcome home. I love you. Let's eat.